Welcome to Subtitles On. Jesus. My career here. <laughs> what is my name? Who am I? Welcome to Subtitles On. You're here with V. And G. And this week, we are chatting about, one, where have we been and why have we not been recording anything? <laughs> Two, we have seen an amazing turn of events. And we have had some amazing female founders come across our desk who have been helping raise capital and there's been a common theme with those capital raises which have involved something called preference shares and so today we thought we'd tell you everything that we know about preference shares. So, V, we are back. We are and man we are sorry to all our <laughs> listeners. We promised you the world and have not delivered. <laughs> There Where has been we? a reason for that. Yeah? What well, was it? You tell me. I'm telling you why we have been <laughs> silent to our listeners. We haven't been in the same place at the same time for a long time. That is true. I mean, I think there's probably technology solutions that we could have recorded podcasts in different cities, but we didn't. You have a point. <laughs> um, so where have we been? Where have we been? Well, due to COVID, we haven't had to be in the office five days a week, which yep. has meant we have been able to be in other places of the world. True. And by world, I mean Queensland. <laughs> I've been in New South Wales. Northern New South Wales. Yeah. I have had the luxury of being able to spend a little bit more time with my sister and her little girl, which has been amazing. Yes. And you have had the luxury of spending some time in your beautiful new home. Yeah. And what else? Like, so let's talk about the start of this year. What else has been going on? I think one of the biggest things that I wanted to just flag about what I feel like is going on in my world on a work side, which actually follows on from our last episode and having talked about women in business and how the pandemic kind of affected women, was that I've seen a really, really big upturn in our clients mm. of female-founded companies doing capital raises. Yeah. It's actually beautiful and amazing <laughs> to have seen how many clients we've had through the door who have raised huge amounts of money yeah. and have these amazing female-led businesses. Yeah. Yeah, it's funny because I think our last episode was very, I mean, I was kind of a little bit dejected by yeah. the stats and thinking, oh God, what is what is this year going to be? And I think we had commented, oh, we like we did no work with women yes. last year. Didn't feel but, like we had many female clients, yeah. female-founded you know, companies. Yeah. Yeah. And we must have put something out to the universe because then we've just done all these capital raises with these amazing women. So it's just kind of turned that all on its head, which has been fantastic. Exactly. And I think it's a really great segue. It's kind of then provided us a topic to talk about today because what a lot of these capital raises involved was these companies offering a different type of class of shares called preference shares for the very first time. And so we thought today maybe we could chat a little bit about preference shares and what they are and what the differences are, what some of the key rights that are normally associated with them, et cetera. And then hopefully if you ever are doing a capital raise and you're at that point where preference shares are on the table or being asked for by investors, you'll know what the hell they're talking about. Yes. I also just wanted to flag this post that I saw earlier this morning, which I think you actually saw earlier. <laughs> but it it did really make me feel good about, you know, what we're doing. And it really rang true to the experience we've been seeing in the market as well. 
So the post was from this Instagram page called The Female Lab, and it says that despite women feeling more overworked and anxious in the last 12 months and twice as likely to sacrifice their career to be caregivers, female-founded startups have doubled and the Fortune 500 has more female CEOs than ever before. I mean, this just shows that women are the key to the post-pandemic recovery. Mm-hmm. How good is that? Yeah, saying that is true. Things are happening. Yeah, they are. All right, let's talk about preference shares. Let's do it. So. What is a preference share? Yeah, why don't, before we talk about preference shares, let's talk about classes of shares. Yeah. So we understand that. So basically a company or the board of directors has normally has the power to issue shares and shares can be, you can basically divide shares up into different classes. And what we mean by classes is that they'll normally have a different name. And they'll have different rights associated with them. So an ordinary share is probably what most Most companies get incorporated with. And what the rights are attached to that is that you have, you know, the right to vote at the general meeting, you have rights to receive dividends, and you're kind of all treated equally. That's basically it, right? Yeah. Yeah. And it's it is I think we even chat about this a little bit in our our one of our first episodes of incorporating companies. Ordinary shares is as Giselle just said the most typical one that you see because it just makes it nice and easy. And yep. our motto is always keep it simple. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> However, there's a point in time when and and when it makes sense to issue different classes of shares. Yeah, and so what that different class of share normally is is what's called a preference share. I suppose in its simplest form, you could take it literally for face value. A preference share has some kind of preference over another class of shares. Exactly. All right, so let's chat about some of the key terms for preference shares. I know we hear uh, there's this preference shares, I will say, is a topic that has a million confusing terms that you hear thrown around. Cumulative, non-cumulative, participating, non-participating. Redeemable, non-redeemable. What is all this? Liquidation preference, one times liquidation preference. What are you saying? Yeah, there's a lot of of words. Let's break it down. Okay. Let's start. So, okay, if we start, first of all, with, I guess, voting rights, this is a simple one. Yeah. Again, just like we were saying before, you can say that they have voting rights or don't have voting rights. What I would say in Australia is the most common thing is that they do have voting rights and that they they can vote as per as if they were an ordinary shareholder is normally the way that it's phrased. All right, let's talk about dividend rights because this is obviously what you're effectively saying is that a preference share is going to have dividend rights that are in preference and to be paid out ahead of an ordinary shareholder. So... There's a few kind of concepts within that fall underneath that kind of dividend rights. One is that cumulative dividend right versus non-cumulative, and the other is participating versus non-participating. Gee, do you want to dive into cumulative? And I'll take participating. Yeah, sure. So, yeah, cumulative preference shares or dividend rights, they have a huge advantage not that common in Australia though, but it basically entitles you to carry over any dividend entitlements from from year to year, even when no dividend was declared. So what that means is if you had a cumulative 8% dividend, you're effectively, it's almost like a debt instrument. Mm. You're receiving 8% of your, on your investment over that every year. And so yeah. when you get to the end, it all accumulates together and you get paid that out. Obviously, that is a lot of money. Yeah. So 
as a company, you don't really want to be offering that up. And as I said, pretty uncommon in Australia. So what's more common is non-cumulative. What that means is, again, you'll say it's an 8% non-cumulative dividend. So there is that fixed kind of right there to what that dividend rate is, but it is only ever paid if that dividend is declared by the board. And it's only paid, like it doesn't accumulate from year to year. Participating versus non-participating essentially follows on from that dividend right such that if you're a participating preference shareholder, it essentially entitles you to participate in a liquidation event should one come up in the future on top of those dividends. Yeah. Now let's dive into what I'm talking about when I say liquidation event. So it is kind of what it sounds like. (laughs) If you're about to essentially liquidate the company, and those are usually things like a big sale, share sale, or majority of the assets. The other one we see is an IPO or obviously a wind up. Those are your typical liquidation preferences. So what does it mean if one of these liquidation events happen then, G? Yeah. So so normally a key term of a preference share is it will also say it has a liquidation preference and normally that it starts at one times, one times being, so if I put in a million dollars, then I get a million dollars back. It's like the you get that one times. It could be more, but it's normally about one times. And so when we're talking about participating versus non-participating, kind of think about a preference share in some ways as a hybrid instrument. So hybrid with what? Hybrid. Like a, <laughs> kind of like a convertible note. Yeah. And what I mean by hybrid, I mean it's like a mixture of debt and equity. Yes. So in some some ways that they're kind of structured, it's more like a debt instrument because really all you're saying is, okay, you've got a fixed dividend, which is kind of like an interest rate. Mm-hmm. You're getting money back on your investment and you've got a liquidation preference. You're getting back the loan. The money you, know, you put the in. The money you put in. Yeah. If you're then – so that's kind of like non-participating, right? You're just getting back – what you put in. If you then are starting to participate, they're basically you're kind of saying, well, not only what what then happens if my shares are viewed as ordinary shares and there's all these surplus. So the, the company sells for millions and millions and millions of dollars. Therefore, I get to participate as though I was an ordinary shareholder and and also, yeah, get part of the, the pie basically at the end. I'd say we do actually often see participating yes. in Australia. It's quite common. Totally. And that flows on to another key term being whether the preference shares are convertible or non-convertible. Yeah. Again, we often see that they're convertible in Australia. What I mean by that is whether or not your preference shares convert to ordinary shares or if there's no ability and you're just getting these preference shares. As I say, we see they're usually convertible in Australia. And the reason why is it it, it gives your investor a little bit of a, a benefit mm. in that it gives them the ability to convert those preference shares to ordinary shares if it makes sense based on the purchase price. Yeah. So if it's you use your- up, it, upside. It's upside. So if yeah. you're getting more than your million dollars that you're going to be taking out by converting to ordinary shares- then you're going to convert. Yeah, exactly. And normally it's up to the preference holder as to when they convert. Yeah. Often you group them together and it like the it's kind of drafted so that it's a majority of preference shareholders would all vote and then they would all convert. There are some events where it's automatic and normally that's just IPO. And then in some, another key term sometimes, although we see this not very often, is redeemable versus non-redeemable. There's a lot of, often it's done for tax and structuring reasons that they're drafted that way. But again, 
a redeemable share means that the company has the ability in certain circumstances to effectively buy that back off the, the shareholder. The other thing I wanted to chat about, G, is when do these come into play? Mm. Do we see them at the start of a company? What, you know, capital raise do we often see a preference share get introduced? Who introduces them typically? Yeah. Look, I guess if we talk about the two example capital raises we did recently, Mm. one was a seed round, one was a series A, and both were introduced Um, had preference shares introduced for the first time in those capital raises, so very different stages of both those companies. The common theme, though, between the two raises was that you had two VC firms involved. And I think that this is a pretty standard requirement of um, VC. So that's where we would normally see it. I've got, you know, much more mature companies who have gone up to Series B and there's no preference type shares on offer as yet, but there's no VCs involved. So I think it really comes down to the investor. Yeah. And I guess that just flows on to who reaps the benefit of a preference share. It is your investors (laughs) rather than your founders. So if you're sitting there as a founder going, can I hold off as long as I can with not giving preference shares? Absolutely. However, it isn't uncommon. Yeah. Um, if your investor is asking for it, it's not unreasonable. It's not crazy. It, it is, as we see, as we said, quite common, particularly for VCs. But look, if you can get away without having to give them um, mm. to issue them, absolutely. Yeah. And I think, look, I think particularly in the way that preference shares are structured in Australia, there's something that a company probably wants to resist as long as you can. Having said that, Preference shares can also be used to be company friendly and can give you where you're really viewing it more as that hybrid instrument where you don't give them voting rights, where they're, you know, you're able to effectively, you know, it is just kind of that debt instrument really, a hybrid debt instrument, and it's drafted quite narrowly, then I think that it can actually be company friendly. So, but I would say totally. that what you what you said is in the Australian context of how we normally see them, they're very investor friendly. Yeah. The other small thing that I would just flag that you often see attaches to rounds that have preference share rights is that it what you would see when you're negotiating the shareholders agreement at the same time is sometimes your preference shareholders will ask for some additional decision-making rights that mm-hmm. have to be approved by all of those preference shareholders. Yeah. It's a pretty common thing and and you know you can see some sense in that, right? They're all coming in as a group of investors in this particular round and and kind of want to have the right to approve certain matters that make sense to them. Yeah. I guess the other key thing to say is that when you do start to, if you're offering preference shares, then the documentation does change quite a bit. And unless your constitution had set out, which would be quite unusual (laughs) if it had the exact terms that you need, that you were offering already set out in it, if it doesn't, then you're going to have to put in place a new constitution, which therefore means having to get the consent of, you know, 75% of the existing shareholders or unanimous if you're not going to hold a meeting. And so it's just something to think about. Um, It's not, I wouldn't say it's, it's not overly complicated, but it just does. It's an additional kind of documentation requirement, which sometimes just adds time to your to your cap rates. I think that's it for us on preference shares. Yeah, I think so. I think if anyone has any further questions, obviously you know where to find us. Hit us up. Subtitles on dot com. 